Good morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the glorious life and the joy that you bring us and for the sadness, Lord, that we that we will be that we experience too. We know that you bring people into our lives that we can love, befriend, and that it is always sad when we lose them. So Lord, let us take this time today. Let us rejoice in the life that you give us and that, that you allow us to be a part of. This we ask in your son Jesus' name, amen. Let us worship our Lord. Yeah, just in case anybody hadn't heard, um, Brad cashed in his life assurance policy. Um, and it's with a heavy heart that we had to say goodbye to him, but he's up with his brother now. On uh, the life of Christ works. I know whom I have believed, and Brad had that assurance as well. Does Christianity work? Does anything really happen when a person repents of sin and receives Jesus by faith? Billy Graham, in his words, says, I can tell you that it worked in my own life. I was reared during the Depression on a farm in North Carolina. My parents weren't able to give me the advantages that most young people enjoy today. I grew up in a Christian home, but by the time I was 15, I was in full revolt against all religion, against God, the Bible, and the church. But one night, I committed my life to Christ, and he gave me a whole new direction. My grades picked up, my attitude toward others changed, and I began to seek God's will instead of my own way. No, I didn't become a perfect person, but my life was changed. I have been all over the world, and I have never met anyone who ever has regretted giving their life to Christ, and neither will you. And the hope for today, of all the things that you may regret, choosing Christ will never be one of them. You'll never be abandoned, unloved, or misunderstood by him. You will have purpose and a passion. You will always have a place to call home. Thank you. 
Old Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 19. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, the skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak, night after night they make him known. They speak without a sound or word, their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth, and their words go all around the world. God has made the home in the heavens of the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after a wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises to one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commands of all the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are warning to your servant a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from the hidden faults. Keep my servant from the delicate, deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth in the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. We say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And join us as we sing, How Great Thou Art. This isn't the one? I want. 
Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, Get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. But the Jewish leaders demanded, What are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus said. Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it, raise it up. What they exclaimed, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. If you'd like to join us in a responsive reading. Today we celebrate your magnificent splendor, for by your hand you place time in motion. From the first day of creation until this day, your creative wonders have filled the universe. Today we celebrate your mighty power. For by your hand you raise Christ from the grave. From Resurrection Sunday until this day, 
your love has given life to all mankind. Father, we thank you for today. We give this special day over to you. May we rest in your presence, bathe in your goodness, and celebrate your eternal life this day and always. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, the gifts we give, we know we are only returning that which you have entrusted to us. So Lord, as we do this, let us give it openly, let us give it with a free heart, but let's give it to further your kingdom. Let us be wise in how it is spent to help those in need, to learn to help bring those to you who have not who have not learned to come to be part of your family yet, Lord. Let us be servants as you would have us be servants. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanking you for your goodness. Thanking you for the power of your word. Remember the uh, Aglan family, Lord. Uh, Jerry and Iris and Sean in particular. Just pray for your comfort in their family. That your hand of mercy, your hand of uh, grace will be upon them during this time. Comfort them as only you can comfort them, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that as we uncover your word this morning, dig into your word, that you might um, anoint our ears, anoint my, my uh, breath, my words, Lord, to bring life, and we pray that you'll anoint the ears of each person here, that they might um, fall in love with you more deeply believe you more resolutely and, uh, and just love you with all of their hearts. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. First uh, Peter 1, 3 through 5. Uh, there's no PowerPoint. Didn't, didn't have time for that this week. So <laughs> I found out yesterday I was preaching. So we're, um, some, of, some of the bells and whistles are not here. So... <laughs> Uh, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We're all grieving that we lost Bradley this week. was a shock to me. I thought he was getting better. I, that was the last I'd heard he was starting to improve, but uh, it didn't happen. But we don't grieve like the rest of the world, do we? Because we know uh, where Bradley is, and we know that he's not suffering pain anymore. And we know assuredly that Christ conquered death and that Bradley is with the Lord. We have that absolute rock-bottom assurance. That, um, that, so we don't need to grieve in that sense. We grieve our loss. We re- certainly grieve the loss for the family. But we, we believe that Christ conquered death. Um, so verse 3, reading that again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Sin was defeated with the cross of Christ. Uh, sin hung on that cross. Uh, Christ took our sin upon him as he hung on that cross. 
and our sin, our, our sin is defeated as we come to him and trust him to take, that, take our sins away. But death was defeated when Christ rose from the dead. So, you know, we'll, in a month or so from now, we'll be celebrating Easter. And, you know, three days before Easter, we have the Good Friday, and that's when, when uh, sin is defeated. We celebrate and remember sin, the defeat of sin. And then three days later, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ from the, from the grave. Um, there's a wonderful... Um, how, how many of you have read the Chronicles of Narnia? I know, okay, yeah, most of you have. Um, I, we read this to our kids, our daughter especially. I mean, we, I don't know how many times, three, four, five times we went through it. She just absolutely loved the Chronicles of Narnia. She was quite a reader to start with. And, uh, but the, in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you remember, there's four children, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, and they end up at Professor Kirk's house, and Lucy, they're playing hide-and-seek, and Lucy ends up in a wardrobe. And, and she, in the back of the wardrobe, she, she, you know, she begins to feel around, and it's open. And she finds herself in this great land of Narnia. And so the story, the first, the first of the books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, is, is all about this discovery of Narnia. And uh, Lucy comes back, and the rest of the kids don't believe it. Um, but Edmund makes his way into the wardrobe, and he in, in a, um, comes across the Wicked Witch. And if you remember, uh, in Narnia, it was always, always winter and never Christmas. <laughs> and, and Edmund runs into this Wicked Witch and gets bewitched with, of all things, Turkish delight. Uh, and another interesting thing is that Aslan is the Turkish word for lion. So he's, he's, he's putting this uh, kind of in a, in a Turkish setting. And so Edmund, being bewitched, um, the witch eventually gets him, and the witch is going to kill him. And so Aslan says, makes, goes to the witch and says, I'll make a deal with you. Um, you take my life for his life. And so, uh, of course, the witch is, is absolutely thrilled. She says, uh, you know, that's exactly what she was after. And so we see this scene then where Aslan is tied up on the stone table. And let me read this part. When once Aslan had been tied, and tied so that he was really a mass of cords on that flat stone, a hush fell on the crowd. There's the many cr crowded around watching this scene. Four hags holding four torches stood at the corners of the table. The witch bared her arms as she bared them the previous night when it had been Edmund instead of Aslan. Then she began to wet her knife. It looked to the children when the gleam of the torchlight fell on it as if the knife were made of stone, not steel, and it was of a strange and evil shape. You can just see the, you know, uh, Lewis building this scene up. At last she grew near. She stood by Aslan's head. Her face was working and twitching with passion. But he looked up at the sky, that is Jesus, still quiet, neither angry nor afraid, but a little sad. Then just before she gave the blow, she stooped down and said in a quivering voice, 
<laughs> and now, who is one? Fool, did you think that by all this you would save the human traitor? Now I will kill you instead of him, as our pack was, and so the deep magic will be appeased. But when you are dead, what will prevent me from killing him as well? And who will take him out of my hand then? Understand that you have given me Narnia forever, and you have lost your own life, and you have not saved his. In that knowledge, despair and die. <laughs> you know, you could just hear her. Uh, the night went by then, as the, and the children were hiding close by, watching this whole scene, and they fall asleep, and the rising of the sun had made everything look so different. All the colors and shadows were changed as these children woke up, that for a moment they didn't see the important thing. Then they did. The stone table on which Aslan had been slain was broken into pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. Then they turned around, and they saw Aslan standing there. Aslan stooped his mane, his golden head, and licked Susan's forehead. Now what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the wicked, the witch, knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. I, I love this, this part. I just absolutely love it. In other words, death had been defeated. And time is working backwards. In other words, there is eternity. The broken bread leads to the empty tomb as we celebrate communion today. And new birth leads to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into an eternal inheritance. And so I want to talk about those two areas. Now, hope, you know, we, Easter time, we, we, you know, it's, it's a time of hope. It's spring, and that's always great. The flowers are coming out. And uh, that's, that's wonderful, except for those of us who have allergies. <laughs> but, but, you know, the, the flowers are coming up and everything's, everything, the, you know, the winter is past, which we never had this year. <laughs> but the winter is past and, and the flowers are coming up and, and, and summer is coming and so on. And so it's, there's a, a sense of hope, kind of a natural hope. But our hope is not just based on temporal kinds of things, the object of our hope is eternally solid and sure. Okay, now, you know, for example, we can say, well, I hope that it rains tomorrow in Tucson. Okay, you got a really slim chance of that around here. <laughs> but if we say, I hope that the sun rises tomorrow in Tucson. Well, now that's getting closer to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, it's, it's an absolute assurance that just as Christ rose from the dead, so we shall rise from the dead. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. And, you know, 
with Bradley's passing, that's, that's where we are. We don't, we don't, you know, Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I mean, the rest of men, death is it. If you believe that we're just here, you know, kind of a random thing, or we're, we're on planet Earth, uh, then death is the end of that, because there's nothing after death. Death is the finality of everything. But we believe that Christ died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in Him. So we have this, this hope, and as much, with as much assurance that Christ rose from the dead, we also have an assurance that Jesus is going to bring with, that God is going to bring with Jesus those who fall asleep in Him. It's that certain. So that we can say in 1 Corinthians 15, 55 and through 7, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Well, death has lost its sting, hasn't it? I mean, you know, and, and certainly we, we grieve, like everybody else does, that we have a loss, but what is a loss to us is actually a gain to the one, to the one who dies in Christ. And so we know for Bradley, this is a wonderful thing. You know, he's finally pain-free, and, and he's rejoicing with the Father. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Gordon Fee, a great New Testament scholar, said this. Paul is saying in these verses, take that death, for when mortality is clothed with immortality, you have lost both your victory and your sting. And, and that's, as Christians, that's where we are. There is no more sting to death. And what looked like a certain defeat has been turned in to a certain victory. That's what happened in the Chronicles of Narnia. There was C.S. Lewis, you know, mirroring or or foretelling about the resurrection of Christ. The ultimate enemy that we face is death. And it seems so final. I mean, we all face it. We're all going to die someday. We'll never see Bradley again on earth. But the good news is, there's a better place. There's a better place coming. So you see, if there was no resurrection, sin and death are victorious. You know, uh, sin always leads to death. And so death is victorious. When we die, there's nothing. Life itself ceases. But those who believe in Christ have already passed from death to life. Not going to happen someday. But when we receive Christ, we are born eternally. We are born of the Spirit. The Spirit is eternal. We, uh, when we receive Christ... We are born eternally, and then the body falls away at some point, but that which is Christ, and that which belongs to him, just goes on to be with him. That's the hope that we have. Sin was defeated with the cross of Christ, that's what we celebrate with communion, but death was defeated with the resurrection of Christ, the empty tomb. And so when Jesus rose from the dead, he was demonstrating that life is stronger than death and that Christ conquered death forever. 
completely and absolutely. Death is not the last card played. God, who created and sustains all things, has power over death. Let's go on to verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. So not only has Christ conquered death, so that we no longer need to fear death. You know, we as Christians, we don't need to fear death. Um, I have been to, I've done a lot of Christian funerals and done, you know, been to a whole, whole bunch more. And there, in, in a lot of times, there's, there, there's just a different kind of grieving because we know where that person is. We know it's good. As good as God is, we know that they're going to that good place. The way of the natural world is that life inevitably leads to death. We all die sometime. The way of Christ is, is reversed that death leads to life. And that's a miracle. It's the reversal of the natural order of things. Science is based on the scientific method. We observe that X causes Y, uh, and, and we make a hypothesis about that. X leads to Y. So we take X and we manipulate and, and try to isolate what the factors are that, that results in why. Isn't that right? I mean, that's what the scientific method is. But Jesus came along, and Jesus reversed the whole thing. His life was a life of miracles. He walked on water, healed the sick, drove demons out, spoke the world into existence, raised people from the dead, it, it is unnatural to believe in life after death. That's not the natural order of things. That's not the way things happen. But God is the God of the impossible. He reverses everything. And a lot of our belief is tied in with God's ability to answer prayer for situations which are impossible in the natural realm. Actions have consequences. The consequences of sin is death. But God reverses the consequences of sin, leading to death by the intervention of Christ into the equation. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to death. Sin leads to Christ dying for us, which doesn't lead to death, which leads to life. And the whole equation is, is turned on its head. The good news is that God is bigger than whatever is assailing us right now. He restores, renews, regenerates, redeems, re-energizes. What leads inevitably to death is reversed to lead to life through the intervention of Christ. And I'm not just talking about our physical death. I'm talking about the way that we live our lives. Christ can always intervene, can't he? God is bigger than our political situation. COVID-19, death, despair. He brings hope and restoration out of the ashes of despair. That's who he is. That's what he does. He's a God of miracles. God breaks into the natural order so that when we look at X resulting in Y, now X doesn't result in Y. And we always, and I, you know, I do this all the time myself, I, you know, we think of, you know, who are we? What do we have? What are we going through? And then we 
we look at how can I, you know, um, how can I intervene in that? What, what difference can I make? Instead of saying, what difference can God make? What can God do? Luke chapter 1. Um, this is the story of the virgin birth. And begins in verse 28. Actually, if you want to turn, you can turn your Bibles there with me if you want to. The angel went to her, that is to Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And then Mary says, well, how is this going to be? You know, I'm a virgin. I can't, I can't just go around having kids. The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. In other words, God said, yeah, you're right. In the natural order of things, the way things usually work out, you can't have children because you haven't known a man. But he says, God is going to intervene from the outside. That's what we call supernaturalism. God, the supernatural God, is going to impinge and come into your life and do that, which is actually impossible. It's impossible. Virgins don't have children. Unless... God intervenes. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her own old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then she says, and then the Holy Spirit says this, for nothing is impossible with God. Isn't that incredible? Nothing. Nothing is impossible with God. God created everything that there is. So if he created it all, he can certainly intervene and do something with it that is not in the natural order of things. That's what supernaturalism is. Colossians 1. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. If God created everything, set it all in motion, and it was all created for him, and if he's, and if he's the one that holds everything together, why can't he inter intervene in your circumstances? Why can't he do something in your life that you're not expecting, that doesn't quite fit with the normal order of things? Why can't he intervene? He created all things. He can break in at any time and totally flip circumstances on their head. The one who created something out of nothing can take your life and flip it and turn it around into something beautiful. And that's what we celebrate as Christians, is that God can take that which is not beautiful and turn it into that which is, is beautiful. Mark chapter seven, 17. Um, and there's this story. And 
Starts in verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. In other words, Jesus said, don't you get it yet? Don't you get it yet that God is bigger than that? Jesus rebuked the demon and came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, let me make a statement. It is not great faith in God that we're talking about. It's faith in a great God. All right? So God is not looking for, quote, good, great faith from us, that we've got to somehow conjure up, a, you know, a, a sense of faith. And, and you know, you, you see some pe people sometimes trying to conjure up faith and just believe God. No, it's not just believing God. It's believing in a great God. It's just having a, a, a concept that God is able to do it. That God is a wonder-working God. That God loves us. He's a good God. He's on your side, and he wants to do things in your life that you think, oh, I could never do that. Acts 2.24, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the anger of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So the issue is not, what can I do? But the issue is, what can God do? And the question is not, what is God able to do? The question ought to be, what is God not able to do? Is there anything that God can't do? If he can raise the de dead, he's unlimited. So what we're saying is this, don't look at your own resources and abilities and say, I can't do it. It's impossible. Look at Christ, who was raised from the dead, and ask what he's able to do. You know, we, we see all the time uh, cars, uh, and they have a little <clears throat> emblem on the side that says limited edition. And it means that there are only a million people in the world that have the same car as you do. You know? <laughs> and, and, but God has, on the side of his car, he has unlimited edition. God can do anything. And he loves us, and he wants to be involved in our lives, and he can do absolutely anything. So what we look at and say, impossible, I can't do it. It, it isn't going to happen. God says, ah, you look to me. It's not what you can do, it's what I can do. So is it inevitable that Desert Gardens Church slowly fade into the sunset? Well, yeah, it is, if it depends on us. If we're all that God, you know, all that there is, and X leads to Y, well, it's probably, you know, we're probably <coughs> going to uh, <coughs> just fade into the sunset. But no, if it depends on God. God is bigger than that. God can bring our church to the place of vibrancy and fullness. 
It doesn't depend on us. It depends on him. And if it depends on him, all things are possible. He's a great and wonderful and wonder-working God. So whatever you're facing in life, the question is, what can God do if we let him and believe in him? What is he able to do with it? What is he able to do with that situation that you're facing in your life? Acts chapter 3, beginning verse 1, says this. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from life was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple court. So here's a guy, from birth, he has been crippled. And so his friends or somebody would take him every day, couldn't walk, take him, set him by the temple, and the temple was a great place to, to beg for alms. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him and said, John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I give you in the... But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. You know, you, you remember in Sunday school, silver and gold have I none, but you know, remember that whole song? Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. Instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them to the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. So here is this, this man who is lame from birth. We don't know how old he is, but he's lame from birth. And he's walking and jumping and leaping, you know, leaping and bounding through the temple. When all the people saw him, walking and praising God, and it goes on and on. And then it goes on to verse 15. And I had never seen this verse before, really. I really concentrated on it. But in preparing for this, I did. And it says this. P Peter is giving a talk now to, uh, to a crowd that's gathered around. And, he's, and he relates, you know, the, where they crucified Jesus and so on. And then he says this. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. <laughs> and I just thought, you know, how can you kill the author of life? <laughs> I mean, you, you can't kill the one who made life in the first place, who spoke everything into existence. How can you kill him? <laughs> you can't. You can't kill the author of life, and you can't stop his people from rising from the dead. Because as, a, as the same kind of assurance that Jesus rose from the dead, Scripture says, you're going to rise from the dead. So what's our ground of hope? You can't kill the author of life. Eternal life is stronger than natural death. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You can't kill the author of life. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Through him everything was made. In him is life. You can't kill the one in whom there is life. John 5, 24, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over 
from death to life. That's what you have done. When you put your faith in Christ, when you say, Christ, forgive me my sins, you have at that instant, you cross from death into life. There is something that's born inside of you, a, a seed of life that is put in there, the Holy Spirit taking up dwelling in, in your life. You are regenerated from the inside out. And you have crossed at that moment from death to life. Yes, your body's going to drop off one of these days. All of us are going to face death. But your, your, your spirit isn't going to die. Your spirit already died way back then and was reborn, reborn into life. And that brings us to communion. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So communion that we're going to be celebrating soon is the remembrance of Jesus' body and blood broken and shed and poured out for us. And that's a sad ending if there's no resurrection. But the good news is that we know that that's not the end of the story. Jesus' death was not the end of the story. That's really the beginning of the story. Sin was defeated with the cross of Christ, but death was defeated with the resurrection of Christ. Going back to our story. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there's a magic deeper still, which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. In other words, if we look at the natural realm and what is, is, is natural in time, but it says, but if she could have looked a little further back, that is back into eternity. That's what Jesus did. Jesus looked back into eternity, and he knew that if he gave his life, that he would rise from the dead. Because he, he had been with the Father since the beginning, from before time began, and he knew what the whole picture lays out, you know, what the whole picture is. The wicked witch only knew back to the beginning of time. But Jesus knew beyond the beginning of time. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack. You remember the temple when Jesus gave his life, when, the, you know, when he's hanging on the cross, and he gives, up, he gives up his spirit, and the temple, the curtain in the temple is torn in two. And death itself would start working backward. So if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Christianity is both dead and hopeless. We would have a great moral teacher who showed us how to live and live well, but we wouldn't have the Son of God who conquered death. Christ knew something no one else knew because he existed before the beginning of time. That's who he is. So when we celebrate communion, Christ's body was broken for us. His blood was poured out for, his, for us. 
But he knew that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. And that's what we're celebrating with communion. We're celebrating, yes, Christ giving his life for us so that our sins are heaped upon him. But we're also looking forward to Sunday. We're we're in Friday. But we're looking forward to Sunday because we know we've read the end of the story and we know that Christ is raised from the dead. And because of that, we know that we have an eternal inheritance being kept in heaven for us. So Kathy's going to come up and uh, do the elements for us. Before we sing, um, I just wanted to um, do a little reminder. Um, You know, sometimes we take communion because we do it so often, you know, that we don't really give it as much thought as we maybe should. So um, really think about what we're doing today. And while we're singing or before, we need to examine our hearts. We need to make sure we're right with the Lord. And if, and if there's something in there that um, can't be confessed or right away, then maybe just don't take it today. But this is what, this is what Scripture says, and it's from 1 Corinthians 27. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you're eating and drinking judgment on yourself. That's why many of you are weak and sick, and some even have died. But we would examine ourselves so that we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are just being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. And in 1 John 1.9, it reminds us that if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we read, or as we um, do the song, The Living Bread, we will examine ourselves and then we will move on to communion. So if you'd like to stand, and we will go through this twice. you I feel. 
great sadness when one of us passes but there's always that great joy that comes along with it we know that you died for our sins and that our sins were forgiven at the moment of our passing but that we are have arisen and you have conquered death after that third day so Lord let us let us grieve 
the loss of a friend or a loss of a family member. But let us rejoice in knowing that they're with you, that they've gone on to eternity and they have been restored as you would have them be restored. Lord, and let us rejoice in that and let us remember that that ultimately is what we, what we strive to be, your good and faithful servants. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God be with you till we meet again. By his counsels, God uphold you. With his sheep securely fold you. God be with us till we meet again. Go in peace.